Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Before you to declare that the earth is filled with your glory and Lord let that glory be known let it shine so brightly this morning as a, in our local assemblies we just come together to celebrate your presence thank you for bringing us here this morning and Lord may you be glorified in all that we do we pray this in Christ's name amen she was a woman desperate to have a child married into a polygamous marriage at a young age She finds her womb closed and not able to have children, while the wife, number two, has been blessed with many children. Her sister wife makes her life miserable, taunting her, making fun of her, and her lack of ability to have children. That causes her to not only to not eat, but also to experience long periods of weeping and despondency. Though barren, She is loved by her husband, who does not understand her overwhelming desire to have a child. In response to her pain, he says, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Aren't I more than ten children? Talk about a clueless husband. Clearly, he does not understand neither her heart nor her pain. Maybe some of you here this morning him. In her desperation, she cries out to God to give her children. She goes to a place of worship in order to pray, feeling that maybe God will hear in a sacred place. Her prayers are so mixed with bitter tears and crying out that she would be willing to make a trade. God, give me a son, give me a child, and I will give him back to you. We find ourselves many times praying like that, do we not? Hey, I'll I'll make a trade. I'm desperate. The emotions she emits are so strong and powerful that those who are around her, those who are watching her, believe that she is drunk. She replies to those charges and to those looks of accusation. that She's just praying with great anxiety, trusting that God will hear her prayers. Let me ask you, have you ever prayed like that? Have you ever been so desperate with anxiety and emotions that it seems like you're drunk? Or that your life was so despondent that you couldn't eat and couldn't sleep? Have you ever wondered if God is listening to you? Probably most of us have. We've had these dark night of the soul that some would say. You and I, we wonder why our prayers are so ineffective. We wonder if our request, our circumstance, our trouble, is it too big for God? Is it impossible for God to help us? We've been there, have we not? Some of you may be in that spot right now. In our passage several weeks ago, we read that Jesus has come to Jerusalem as king. Remember the story? He rode in on a donkey to perform an inspection and judge via two actions. We saw the first one is that he cursed the fig tree for advertising that it had fruit 
when it had none. He then goes into the temple and sees how it is being disused and how it's being abused and misused, and he winds up clearing the temple and accusing and condemning those who were doing such things. Jesus is like you and I. He doesn't like false advertisement. No one likes to go to a store or a service and to say, well, this is what I want. It's like a bag of chips. A bag of chips is like a perpetual false advertisement. You know, you see that bag of chips, you open it up, and it's really a bag of air. You know, uh, we don't like that. We don't, we don't want that. That makes us frustrated. It makes us angry. And we saw several weeks ago that Jesus responded with anger. And that almost, we say, whoa, why is Jesus with anger? If Jesus is angry, that, there's something that we, you and I should pay attention to. The reason for Jesus' anger was the temple was to be a place of prayer for all of God's people and, and to be a place to bring salvation for Gentiles uh, who were foreigners and strangers to the covenant. It was to be a place that attracted people for the sake of God, but yet it had become, as Jesus says, a den of thieves. The tree, as we saw, is symbolic in that it signifies the hypocrisy of all who have the appearance that they may be a Christian, but really, in fact, are not. They say that they may have fruit, they profess it, but yet their lives show no fruit. While the temple was symbolic of God's presence, God was there, God was with them, yet it was a place where temporarily man could be reconciled with God, but yet they had driven God far from that place. In today's passage, in response to Peter's exclamation in verse 21 of Mark chapter 11, have faith in God. In verse 21 that we ended with several weeks ago, he says, Rabbi, look, the tree that you cursed has withered. Jesus instructs them to expect the same results in their prayers. Though the disciples are surprised, Jesus is not. He was confident in his proclamation and prediction that the tree bear no fruit. When he condemned the tree and it came to pass that it withered away, that it would no longer pass fruit, his word is proved to be active and final. So with that, we're going to read the passage this morning. If you're here, take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 11, 22 through 25. It's here on the screen, but if you'd like to read in your Bible. Jesus answered them in response when Peter says, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you've cursed has withered. Jesus continues in verse 22 by answering him saying, have faith in God. Would you underline that, highlight it, do whatever you do? Have faith in God. That's the title of our message. For Jesus says, truly, in verse 23, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be what? Done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it. And it will be yours. Wherever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Father, thank you for this word. This is your precious word given to us. Not a guidebook, not a rule book, but a love letter written to us that we may know you. So even in this passage, would you declare yourself this morning? May we see your glory. May we see our good in this passage. Thank you for the words of Christ. Thank you for the examples of those that have lived lives of effective prayer, whose faith had been strong. May we find courage. May we find strength. May we find the perseverance that we need to live our lives 
that you have called us to. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. Now, we're going to tackle this passage a little out of order this morning. First, I want to look at Christ's interesting statement about mountains. Look at verse 23 if you have your Bible. He says, truly. Now, when Jesus says truly, in the old version, and if you have the King James Version, it may say, verily, verily, I say to you. When he says truly, Jesus is saying, tell the truth. Let me, I need to tell you a truth. He's trying to get their attention. He says, truly, I tell you the truth, I say to you, Whoever says to the mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. This is an interesting statement about mountains. In this passage, Jesus declares that if you have faith as a believer, a believer could move mountains. Now, this is an interesting uh, term. Why in the world would Jesus say such a thing? Well, this is a Jewish idiom. I want to stop anyone here. If you want to be a mountain landscaper and you want to start making big bucks by moving mountains, rearranging certain things, this is not what this scripture is saying. It's a Jewish idiom where it talks about a mountain as a symbol of great difficulty. Now, we see this very clearly. Look at Zechariah chapter 4. I don't know if I told you that. Look at verses 6 through 9. Zechariah here, an angel comes and speaks to him, and he says, Then he said to Zechariah, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Horse. Now this, this is another one of those bumper stickers that people like to put on their cars and to claim. You know, I can do all things through Christ, and it's not by might, it's not by power, but my spirit. But there's, there's a context that he's saying here. He says, not by might, nor by power, but it's by the spirit of the Lord, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the top stone amid the shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands also shall complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. In this passage, he's saying it's not going to be by your might. It's not going to be by your power, but it's going to be by the Spirit of the Lord that you're going to level this mountain. What is he speaking about? This moving a mountain was a common metaphor in Jewish literature for doing what was seemingly impossible. It's a proverbial statement of the impossible. In this case of Zechariah, it was the restoration of Israel after years of exile. In other words, he's saying it's not going to be the power of Israel's army. It's not going to be the might of its army. It's not going to be the ingenuity or the intellect of its leaders, but it's by my spirit. I am bringing Israel back. I'm going to restore it. And he refers to it as a mountain, something that seemed impossible after 70 plus years of being exiled from their nation. That meager band of Jewish settlers come back from Babylon to find a, a land in which Jerusalem, the walls are torn down. They're in disarray. The buildings next to them are all over the place. The temple has been destroyed. And they look and the glory of Solomon is gone. The glory of God is gone. The, the buildings of David are gone. And they look, how could God ever restore Israel? But God says, it's not by your might, it's not by your power. And so mountain is not something to say that you and I can actually move a mountain. That is something that's impossible. And they want us to understand this. Theologian Walter Wessel observes that Jesus is saying that the greatest possible difficulties can be removed when a person has faith. That's what he's saying here. 
And I don't know about you, but I have faced many impossible tasks in my life. Have you not? Have there anything? Maybe you still are. Maybe your life is just, and maybe it's everything from a financial situation. Maybe it's a relationship issue that you think will never be together and be reconciled. Maybe it's the fact that you're still fighting sin that you've been fighting for 20, 30 years. And you say, God will never, can never take care of it. And you've stopped praying for it. I've shared the terrible news that I had stopped praying for my father's salvation. I figured it was impossible. That's a mountain I could not move. But yet, by God's grace, he squashed that mountain with one mighty hand and just pushed it down and stamped it down. Unfortunately, this promise has been taken out of context to focus on ourselves and the power of our own. We've taken the statement to say, well, if I can conjure up, there's enough within me that I can move mountains. We use that phrase. But what we'll see in a moment that this is not what Jesus is describing or promising. See, Jesus is making a connection between what is thought impossible and a faith that makes it impossible. Jesus is making a connection. He's, he's pointing, he says, if you have something impossible in your life, let me share with you how you can make the impossible possible. The avenue to accomplish the impossible is through prayer. Not our own might, not by our own power. It's not by horses and chariots, as Scripture tells us. We have defined prayer. Now, it's very important for you and I to understand that we've defined prayer in the past simply as conversations with God. But it's also important for us to learn and to remember that prayer many times for the believer and the non-believer, for those who pray, is that many times we think of prayer as getting God on page with us. God, here's what I need. Okay, this is what needs to happen. Here's my impossible task. Number one, Lord, I need you to take care of this. Oh, Father, you know, this is way too difficult for me. Uh, you got to do something about this. Oh, I can do all things through Christ, but boy, Lord, that one right there, uh, you're going to have to take care of that. That's kind of impossible. And so you go on through life, and what you try to do is you say, God, you need to get on the page. You're just missing a step. Now you say, oh, I don't do that, but listen to your prayers. You, everyone has a phone, right? I bet you have a voice recorder. Record your prayer one day and see how many phrases start with I, me, want. And so we look at it and we think it's what about taking God and saying, God, it's like, it's like Santa. You know, we, got, we want Santa to know exactly what we need because God doesn't know it unless we tell him, right? And so, well, God, you need to go over it. But you and I need to remember that prayer is not getting God on page with us, but prayer, true biblical prayer, is us aligning ourselves with God. It's our opportunity to have conversations with God and to see where he's leading going. You and I understand this. You've been married. You've had many moments of prayer, conversations, so to speak, with your wife or your spouse. And how many times are you talking past each other? Have you ever had a conversation with someone and then walk away and realize we weren't talking about the same thing? We do this in the office all the time. We're like, what are you talking? We're just going on. And it's like, okay, what? We had one of those moments this past week or something. I can't remember what the issue was, but we were definitely just going like that. And then we're wondering, why is there so much miscommunication? Why do we have so much trouble in our lives? Why? 
because we never sit down and get in alignment. I believe as we talk about effective prayer, a powerful prayer is you and I need to get aligned with God. So that's just introduction because we need to understand that. Prayer is, is meant to line God up with our wants and desires, but to line ourselves up with God's will. Hence, when Jesus instructs us to pray, he says, pray this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. So many of us have changed the words of that. They say, oh, hallowed be your name, but you know, I'm a pretty good person too. I've done some good things. And yeah, I want your kingdom to come, but Lord, uh, you know, I need my ship to come in. It's time for you to meet my needs. Lord, you need to understand what I need, as if God doesn't understand. Sometimes our conversations is just talking to God and never any listening. So prayer is a time when we align ourselves with God. So I want to give you three observations as we go on here this morning. The first thing is that you and I need to understand, if we want effective, if we're looking here what Jesus is trying to say, he's talking about the promise and the power of prayer. The promise and the power of prayer. Jesus gives two action steps. If you and I are going to move mountains, if you and I are going to accomplish the impossible, that we need to realize that the promise and power of prayer involves two action steps that we usually just skip over. The first one, he says, is to ask confidently without doubting. He says, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. It's important for us to understand. Take your Bibles and turn to James very quickly. These passages of scriptures are going to be very familiar, especially if you've been with us when we went through the book of James several years ago. In James chapter 1, James says, the brother of Jesus says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives what? Generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But he says, but let him ask in faith and without no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man. He's unstable in all his ways. And so many of us, live our lives unstable. We're double-minded. I find that myself. It seems like sometimes as I get older, I, you know, I find myself struggling sometimes to make a decision. Where do you want to eat? You know, where do you want to eat? What do we say? I don't know. If I ever start a restaurant, it's going to be called I don't know. And then if I have a, if I have a second one, I'm going to say wherever. You know, these are great names for restaurants. I don't know who doesn't do that. Because then you at least be going somewhere. You know, we just struggle sometimes making the most simplest of decisions. And then there's some decisions that actually become bigger. Sometimes you and I, we dwaddle over the ones that are simple and just quickly make big decisions without even thinking and praying. It's kind of weird how we do that. But he says you need to ask confidently without doubting. We were talking about this at the men's retreat this past weekend. Have you ever had your children come up to you and say, I know you're going to say no, but. You ever had that? I know you're going to say no, but. Well, they're doubting. Why? Because they kind of, in this case, they know who you are. They know what you're going to say. But when we doubt, when we don't know what we're going to do, when we're tossed to and fro, it's hard to get that answer. So what he's saying here is there's a promise and, and power in prayer. But you need to ask, believing confidently, without doubting, trust who God is. 
The second step he tells us is to forgive those who hurt you. If you want to be effective in prayer, if you want, your, if you want to move mountains, then you need to, to, whenever you stand, he says, praying, forgive. For if you have anything against anyone, why? Why should I forgive? He goes on to say, because your Father who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. He who forgives is forgiven, Scripture says many times. So we're to ask confidently without doubting. And we're to forgive those who hurt you. If you have your Bible still at uh, James chapter, uh, James, turn to James 5. And we're going to look at a few verses in James. So you can stay that if you have your Bible. In James chapter 5, he tells us not only to ask confidently without doubting, but he says, if you're going to ask, you need to forgive those who have hurt you. That's very difficult for you and I to do. That's a hard thing. There's many of us that are still uh, harboring bitterness and resentment. It may be the very thing why God hasn't given you the answer to your prayer. James 5.16, we're talking about why forgive those who hurt you. He says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. He goes on to say the prayer of a righteous person has great power as working. There's a promise and a power in prayer. It's found when we ask confidently, believing that Christ will hear us, that God wants to hear our prayers. When we ask for forgiveness, what he's saying there is that we need to confess our sins. We need to be willing to forgive. He says that you may be healed. Let me tell you, tells us in Matthew, that before you go to worship, if you have something about a brother, leave your worship at the altar, your gift at the altar, and go and be reconciled. Then come and worship. Unfortunately, this church could be empty if we actually truly advocated that. But many times the thing that's keeping you from realizing the promise and the power of prayer is because you're not forgiving. You're still holding grudges. And God says, listen, you need to ask forgiveness. If you want to be forgiven, that's going to be something that stops. So the, the promise and prayer of faith is, is ask confidently and forgive. Those are things that can prevent your prayer from being answered. It's the type of thing that, that will keep you from being effective in your prayers. Faith and willingness to forgive are the two conditions of effective prayer. The Apostle John promises in his first letter that this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Here's the power and promise. He says, I will hear you. That's the promise. But then let's go back to James chapter 4 that I read earlier. You say, well, God doesn't seem like he's hearing me. I'm asking confidently without doubting. I've forgiven those who have hurt me. I'm doing those things, but why is my prayer not being heard? We go back to what I said. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend it on your passions. In other words, you haven't aligned yourself with God. You're still over here and God knows your hearts. So I tell you, there's a promise and power in prayer. Your prayers can be effective, but there are qualifiers. There is a right way in which we pray, and there's a wrong way in which we pray. The second observation that I see in this passage is not only the promise and the power of prayer, but number two, the promise and power of faith. The promise 
and power of faith. And again, let me define faith. Because unfortunately, faith, again, many times is misdefined. Hebrews 11.6 tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So it's important for us to understand. Faith is simply this. It's a trust or confidence in the person of God. It's a trust, a confident trust in the person of God. For we know that without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He will reward those who seek Him. So you and I need to understand that there's a promise and power of faith. And again, many times we lead that we have a weak faith. Our faith is not able to do the impossible. Many times it's not even effective in doing what is possible. Jesus has promised here and here in this passage, that if we have faith, we can, through God, accomplish the impossible. However, we must remember that faith is not based on something within ourselves, but in God. In speaking to some people this week, I asked them, what is your faith in? What type of faith? How would you describe your faith? Many times it almost is synonymous with them with with some courage or some, some perseverance or that inner strength within themselves. But let me share with you, biblically, that is not faith. Jesus says to have faith in God, not faith in ourselves or in our courage or our strength or our intellect or our ingenuity. We many times try to accomplish the possible and the impossible through our own devices. But believing prayer is a genuine trust in God and obedience to the discernment of God's will. In John chapter 15, Jesus promises His disciples that if you abide in Me and My words abide in you and ask whatever you wish, and it will be done. By this My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and that you prove to be My disciples. King David himself cries out in Psalm 16 when he says, Preserve me, O God, For in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. David had a faith in God. He had a faith that strengthened him. He had a faith that allowed him to do the impossible. Scripture tells us that God delights to give us good things, especially to those who ask him, and that he's capable of granting any prayer though we may ask or must ask with godly motives and according to God's will. So faith, if we're to pray, he says, have faith. Have faith. Trust. Believe that it will be done for you. God promises disciples in this passage that the person who prays and believes that what he says will come to pass. He says, if you believe that, it will be done for you. The ESV study Bible notes that those who trust God for the right things in the right way can have confidence that God will supply every need according to His riches, knowing that He will work all things together for good and that He will graciously give His children all things. Now some have misused this verse by telling people that if they pray for physical healing or for some other specific request, and if they just have enough faith, then they can have confidence that God has already done or will do whatever we ask. But you and I, as we see in this passage, must also have the same perspective that Jesus had 
That is, he had confidence in God's power, but also in according to God's will. When he said, tree, do no longer will you produce food. In other words, he says, Father, all things are possible, yet not what I will, but you will. When we say that Jesus said, no longer bear fruit to that tree, he recognized that was the Father's will. That's why he was able to say it and believe it and act as it would. One theologian writes that the faith of Mark 11 is a faith that prays. So faith, again, is something that says, not it's in my own strength, but it's someone that prays. Prayer is the source of its power and the means of its strength. God's omnipotence is the sole assurance and God's sovereignty is its only restriction. So not only is effective prayer one in which we recognize the power and promise of prayer, but it's also understanding the promise and power of faith. And then thirdly, the third observation, and this is the most important, this is where we're moving ourselves backwards, that our faith is in the person and power of God. For now, we've come back to the beginning of today's passage. When Peter says, look, Rabbi, look, the tree, it's withered, it's dead. Jesus said, have faith. Jesus tells them that the impossible can be accomplished when we have faith in God. I believe people have faith. I believe people pray. But their many lives, their life and prayer is ineffective. You see, the object, what we're talking about here in our prayers is God. Not ourselves, not any strength, not any confidence, not any trust that you and I can conjure up from within us. We've spoken of that already. The source of the power in faith is more specifically faith in God. That preposition is very important. It notes that those who believe in God can have confidence that He will accomplish even the impossible according to His sovereign will. Faith is a confident trust in the person of God. And that's where we want to settle in, is that faith in God is who we have to have faith in. You want the impossible to happen? Then you must have faith in God. Now you already see there, I've given you a preview already is that you and I need to have faith in God because He is omnipotent. We must put our faith in God. We must put our trust in Him. Why? Because He's omnipotent. The Bible tells us our Father is omniscient, meaning He's all-knowing. Omniscient means God knows all things. Scripture tells us that He knows what you need before you ask Him. We cannot hide from Him. There's nothing within our hearts. He knows what your desires are. He knows what your aspirations are. He knows what your needs are. He's omniscient. And you can trust Him because He truly knows what you need. I know many times I'll be praying to God and I realize, you know what, I'm not praying for the real thing. I may be praying for deliverance from a sin, but really my struggle is I need to learn how to obey God through my sin, through my suffering through the difficulties of my life. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. I also need to have faith in God because He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Scripture tells us that nothing is impossible for God. We see that in regard to Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, who became pregnant at an advanced age. She said, for nothing will be impossible with God, the angel did. In regard to the difficulty of being saved and the rich, when he says it's very difficult for a rich man to be saved, they said with the, what is impossible with man is possible with God. God can do all things. 
We also see we need to trust and have faith in God because of His omnipresence. He's at all places and all times. In Genesis chapter 16, verse 13, Sarah, the wife of Abraham, desiring a child, she too is an advanced age, over 80 years. She worshiped God when He promises her a child by declaring, you are a God of seeing. For He says, truly, I have seen Him who looks after me. Let me ask, when you pray, and you pray with God, do you pray and say, Lord, you see me. You know my journeys. You know my travelings. You know where I am. Do you see me? Are you here with me? Do you ever feel like God is not there with you? There's those times where it seems like you're not tethered to Him. And you're just crying out, Lord, hear me. God is there in each and every moment. We also must have faith in God because He's ever faithful and compassionate. Lamentations tells us that the steadfast of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You and I have to realize and have a faith and a trust that God is faithful, that He is compassionate. Also, we must believe and have faith and trust that He's ever trustworthy. Matthew 7, 11 says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven Give good things to those who ask them. Let me tell you, you have a good God. And I want to encourage you, when you're praying, you must have an object in your mind and say, Lord, you are a good God. We desire this to be filled. We, we desire this. It seems impossible for us. Lord, but you are good. And for your glory, would you give us this? Would you answer our prayer? If you ever doubt the goodness of God, then you and I are in trouble. And then lastly, he's ever generous. For Philippians tells us God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Would you believe that this morning? That's where I want you to go this morning. If you want the impossible to be done, if you want your prayers to be effective, then you must have conversations with God in which you're aligning yourself up with him, recognizing and give him, say, Lord, give me a greater measure of faith and a trust that He is a good God, that He is a God who's always there, that He's a God who can do the impossible. Let me ask, how big is your God? How big is your God? What is it that's in your life that you're struggling through now, that you're praying through now, and you just do not believe they can handle it? If you have a small God, if you have a God that's out on a journey, if you have a God who's busy, and that God is not going to answer your prayers. Your prayers will be ineffective. But Jesus is telling his disciples, that you can have the same power that I have. You can move a mountain. Not a literal mountain, but you can accomplish the impossible through the Father. So what's the object of your faith? What is it that holds you up? For many of us, it's something within ourselves. Let me tell you, you need to have faith. When you're praying, claim those power, the person and the power of God. Claim upon his person and his promises. You may say, what about unanswered prayer? I think if I were to ask anybody here, have an unanswered prayer right now, something you've been praying me, maybe for years and it's unanswered, what do you say then? Are you saying then I don't have enough faith? That's what people will tell you. Oh, I just don't have enough faith. 
or, or, or God just doesn't want to give it to me. Well, you know what? Let me tell you, Jesus had unanswered prayer also. He prayed that this cup would be delivered from him in Gethsemane. But he also prayed, but not my will is thine. And God said, up, oh, you get to have that. Answered in a total different way. Paul himself had unanswered prayer. Lord, take this, this thorn from me. But he learned, oh, well, God's grace is sufficient. So your life may be marked with some unanswered prayer or unanswered in a way that you do not expect or want. Does that mean you don't have a good enough faith? Does it mean that you're not a good enough Christian? Well, the promise of the Savior to the disciple teaches us that real fruitfulness is a product of genuine, living, personal dependency upon God and faith. For such faith brings glory to God. I want to end with a warning. First, one encouragement, have faith in God. Nothing in anything else. Not in your membership, not in your profession of faith. I don't want you to have faith in your mother, your grandmother, or anything else. Just faith in God. And I want to end it with a warning because I believe there's a cancer that is making its way through those who profess Christ and even those who love God to the most. And it's a warning against those prosperity, health, and wealth gospels. And I don't like to name names, but I see them sometimes in, in people's memes and people's Facebooks and things of that nature. So I don't mean to offend here, but I need to stand and tell you there is a warning out there because the faith that is being given to others or the faith that's being taught is going to lead you down the wrong road. And that's the faith that's proposed by a Joel Osteen or a Joyce Meyer or a Kenneth Copeland. Those that would teach that power resides in your own hearts, in your own strength, in your own faith, or even in our own words. They are untrue. Faith itself is a gift from God. It is not about the power of positive thinking. So I want to challenge you here. Yes, there are some things you think, oh, I want to trust this. But don't trust in my words. Don't trust in the words of someone else or of Randy. Trust in the words of God. Let me tell you, their platitudes may taste sweet like honey. It may even seem like medicine for the soul. But let me tell you, its aftertaste is bitter and poisonous. Their fruit may seem plump and delicious, but it's rotten at its core. They may even declare the words of Scripture and the teachings of Christ, but they have hollowed out all the true biblical meaning from those words that it becomes like a wind whistling through dead trees. Your faith must be in a loving powerful, wonderful God. Amen? Let it be so. May our prayers be effective as the prayers of Elijah and Jeremiah and Daniel. Boy, if I could just have time to show you their prayers. I'd encourage this week during our National Day of Prayer, just look up the prayers of those righteous men and women. The prayers of Hannah, we're going to look at next week for Mother's Day. That's the, the woman, the story I shared, you a little modern retelling of it but the prayers of a righteous person that has faith in God is effective. And God blesses the prayers of those that pray in faith to God. Father, we just ask you to, to help us with this. Help us to, to understand these truths. Lord, help us to, to, to question and look, do I have faith in you or do I have faith in something in myself? Am I just proclaiming words and then trying to make 
powers of positive thinking? Or Lord, am I truly relying on you? Show me the areas where I have not forgiven. Show me the areas where I still doubt. Show me the areas where, I, where I'm trusting in myself. And Father, would you just cast those down with a mighty hand that you may be glorified and that all things may be proclaimed to our good. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just take a moment, would you pause to consider, to pray and to respond? What is God calling you to do this morning because of prayer? Father, give us that greater measure of faith that you may be glorified. And Father, that you can accomplish the impossible. There are some this morning, Lord, that are struggling with life. There's some financial decisions. Lord, there may be some relationship issues. Lord, there may be some things in which it's a health. Father, would you answer their prayer this morning? And not only that, let us see that our faith in God propels us to action ourselves, that we may be part of that answer. Use us to your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.